Just are take, we your recording take your time. Are yeah. we recording right now? Of course now? we are. <laughs> <laughs> and here we are once again uh at north of the shire and we are now up to episode seven and i'm here as usual with mr andrew how are you sir i'm doing all right how are you i'm doing awesome you have had an incredibly busy week as usual unfortunately (laughs) (laughs) so we have had to push this back a couple times uh i think this is the closest to our uh, publishing date that we've ever recorded. We're only a few days away, so we're like... Uh, racing to get this done at the last possible yeah, minute. Yeah. You yeah. know, which means no no mess-ups and no uh, uh, no taking a long-winded time to say something that should be just said in three seconds. Let's be hasty, as uh, <laughs> Treebeard right. says. we got to do this in one take. That's what it all comes down to, right? Yeah, pretty much. So what's been going on? Doing any uh, hobbying? Any Middle Earth stuff happening? You're a or, funny guy. Yeah, You're it's all been guy. like numbers and dollar signs and all of that kind of it's stuff. It's been my it? month end, so <laughs> and we're changing up a couple procedures. Uh, it's been yeah. my month end, so we're changing up a couple procedures, and uh, things are taking a lot longer than they should, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I know in the past we've we've referred to you as an accountant, but you're much more than an accountant, are you? You're like, yes. uh, what? Are, what's your position? Are you like a CFO or what? what oh, I what wish. Is... No, I'm a controller. So I run the entire okay. accounting um, division, if you would, for uh, a quantum computing uh, startup. There you go. Uh, yeah. Sounds sounds really responsible and like a very busy position. Uh, it's very responsible, and uh, it's an incredibly busy position, <laughs> unfortunately. <laughs> But hey, you know, with the with the, the what is it? I guess with the pain comes the gain. So there you go. I guess yeah. That's what it's all about, right? How about yourself? Any hobbying? Have you hobbied for me as well? I have been doing some hobbying. Uh, this week I've been. Uh, what's today? Today is Wednesday, so oh. I've worked so far every day this week, and I'm off for the next couple of days. So I haven't done anything for the last couple of days, but yeah, I've been doing some painting and whatnot on the weekend. Mm-hmm. Uh, once again, with the north of the sh- or not north of the Shire, um, the Shire of Victoria oh, yeah, Facebook okay. group. Once again. Um, also with our own OSBGL, like there's a conversion contest going on mm-hmm. there. So, and still participating in the Hobbit Hole Hobby Challenge. By the um, time, by the time we're able to go all these out, different things. By the time we're able to leave our homes and see the the bright sunshine of day, you'll be like, oh, all my models are painted, and I'll be saying to myself, I've got five models painted since this started. <laughs> <laughs> well, certainly having all these overlapping contests going on, uh, you know, you can get maximum bang for your buck kind of thing when you do a conversion or paint a model and you can kind of have it count for a couple of different contests. It's, mm-hmm. it's good. But yeah, um, <clears throat> I'm still been working, trying to finish off my uh, box of scouts. So I think I've completed four of them. So four more to go and then that'll be, that'll be done. And I should have a, I should be it. I hope to be able to field every kind of Isengard army and legendary legion when I'm done. And I think I'm pretty darn close. You got the battering rams and the siege weapons? I do. Uh, my battering ram is not put together or painted, but mm-hmm. I do have it. I've 
Got the bombs? Had that for many years. Got the bombs. Uh, I got everything. Got everything. Ooh, I'm curious. I'm, uh, got it all. You were gonna be the, you're going to be the Isengard guy. <laughs> well, they've got so many legendary legions come out now. I, I think the one that might be a bit challenging to field is the, and I can't remember the name, but it's the... The all warg rider one. Oh, shark wild wargs yeah, or something. Yeah, that one there. Unless it's a really low point army, um, that that one's going to be tough to do. But I can do it. I feel like with that one, it's probably like excels the low point levels. But then when you get to the high point levels with the big characters, Sharko just does not cut it. Yeah, totally agree. I think it's a really good army list, but I yeah, it's at the low end and. I'm not sure where the threshold is, but as soon as you hit probably like a 700-point threshold, yeah, it's going to be very hard to field the army mm-hmm. and also not as effective. I think um, that, that threshold's much lower, like 500 points. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're, you're probably right. You're probably right. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've had not actually put together an army list yet f- for that, uh, for that mm-hmm. list, but could be very well in the 500-point range. Uh, I also did some, finished off my Balrog, so I, oh. he's been kicking around for months, like I've put him together, but I needed to do a small conversion on his hands, because I want him holding both weapons, mm-hmm. so I had to do some weapon swaps, and then had to like move around the whip, and that mm-hmm. was a pain in the butt, and uh, filling in some gaps and all that, mm-hmm. so I finally got him primed up and ready to go, so... Wow. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't I didn't bother touching the arms. I just decided to make my Balrog without wings. And the, the annoyance that comes along with having to convert <laughs> that. Just cut off this huge surface area from the model so you don't have to paint it. Well, no. I wanted to, to showcase the Balrog more as like what you see in the books, which really there's no real depiction of wings in the books. Um, there's sort of like the description of like fire and smoke coming out of him that, that resembles wing-like things. Yeah. On top of that, he doesn't actually have a fly speed in the book, in the game. So why does he have wings? Yeah. Uh, uh, I haven't read the Silmarillion or um, any of the other Tolkien publications mm-hmm. aside from The Hobbit, actually. The only Hob- Tolkien stuff I've read is Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit, although many times over. Mm-hmm. Um but I, I believe in one of the other stories where they, they do talk about Balrogs on mass. I think they talk about them flying in there, but I'm certainly no expert on that. I don't think they do, just because every time they talk about a depiction of an elf killing a Balrog, like for example, when Glorfindel died the first time, like Gondolin, I think he fell over a precipice and the two of them died. Like, oh, really? Yeah, the Balrog did. The, like, also the Balrog that died in Moria. If you had wings, you'd be like, nah, I'm not going to just die here. You know, but... Uh, <laughs> Sounds like we have some homework to do there. That's true. Do a little, little research. I do have the book, The Fall of Gondolin, and you know, I haven't gotten through it yet. Well, get busy, man. I know, I know. Get busy. Uh, I watched... I don't know if you've watched it or not, but just, like, within the last few days... Um, Damien and Thomas Macklin put out a video on the battle streams in Middle Earth YouTube channel. And it's kind of, mm. it's not the first video they've done on their Fantasy Fellowship thing, but it's kind of like pretty well the start. And it's called um, Fantasy Fellowship of the Ring Prologue. Mm-hmm. And 
you got to watch that video if you haven't watched it. It's so good. Yeah. Um, it's a sit and talk video, and they're they're just sort of you know talking their way into the start of the campaign and Damien's kind of like teasing out his his fantasy fellowship and giving you the first i think three characters of his fellowship um but yeah it's a really good video i, I think the reason i liked it so much was just because you got like these two grown men talking about this but they're so excited about it and they filmed this back in October so it's taken them like a couple of months to get it edited mm-hmm. um, and you know I've done some video editing and whatever on the OSVGL YouTube channel so mm-hmm. I know about video editing now and it's like wow they put a lot of work into editing editing that video mm-hmm. but like just watching it like I had a smile on my face watching that video because just to watch these two grown men talking about this and they're so excited about it and you can see it in their body language and hear it in their voices and everything and I got really kind of jealous watching that because you know <laughs> I haven't played a miniature game since March yeah. and and I would love to have something like that that I could throw all of my energy into and look mm-hmm. forward to that's going to last for a really long time and build projects for it. Um, so it, they, I think they're really lucky in that sense and, and they live close together, close mm-hmm. by one another and um, they're able to get together with each other, which is great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, but had, if, I had the ahead. craziest idea. It would, we would never fly, but it would be just such a cool idea for one year with the Canadian Shire. Uh-huh. Every board was a different one of the fellowship missions that the players had to sort of play through with their <laughs> yeah, own good, armies, yeah. but they'd be yeah. the fellowship objectives. Yeah, yeah. We'll leave that to somebody else to do. <laughs> leave that so We got enough work doing with our tournament as it is. But anyway, just I want to go back to that video just for uh, one second. Mm-hmm. And that is, if you haven't watched that video go and watch that video it's like i think it's like around an hour long if you don't mm-hmm. have time to watch the whole video watch like the very beginning and watch the last five or ten minutes of the video the last part of that video it is it's really good really good and a lot of work went into that and uh it's really worth watching if you haven't seen it so even if you're not into watching videos on YouTube, go watch the last five minutes of that video. And you give me the spoiler-free version here. I see you're I'm sensing oh, there's something big. Yeah, I'm not, not going to talk about it, but it's it's worth watching. Okay, Let's okay. just put it. I, that way. I will I will cue that in my playlist uh, <laughs> uh, in the background as I as I work, and I'll give it a whirl. You should. Good okay. stuff. <laughs> and, and and like we have talked also that we want to do a fantasy fellowship episode. Um, on our podcast here mm-hmm. as well uh and we kind of we've been talking about it a bit over the last week and kind of just recently came to the decision that we're gonna put it off basically yeah um, i mean the the vision versus the technical limitations right now is this really the, the driver on that one yeah like like i have a very specific way that i want to record our fantasy fellowship episode let's call it mm-hmm. and there's just nothing available right now to do it the way that i see it happening so you know what 
let's just put it on hold for now. There's there's enough people talking about the Fantasy Fellowship right now anyways. Mm-hmm. Um, there's plenty of content out there for, for people to watch. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll put ours off for probably a few months until we can actually get together, mm-hmm. and, and we'll, we'll do it then. I think it's important to note that... Um, how we want to do it at the quality we want it to be at. You know, there's options out there right now that allow us to um, record four people in one shot, but the audio quality suffers significantly when you do that kind of thing. And it's just like, I don't want to go down that route just to say we did it. If we're going to do it, you do it right. And you, you, you enact the vision as it's entirely thought out. Yeah. Exactly. And the way we were going to do it, it would have ended up being very choppy and not mm-hmm. at all what I had imagined it being. So, yeah, yes. let's just put that one on the uh, on the top shelf for, for a, a little while and we'll do st- we'll do stuff that we uh, it could we be a lot. Have. It, it could be sooner than a little while, you know, with all this talk of vaccines and whatnot. Yeah. Who knows? Who knows? That's right. Yeah. Keep an optimistic outlook on that, I guess. Yeah, you got to. All right, anything else going on, or uh, no, shall we no. move on? And, just, and We should probably move on. I got these two Canadian Shire trophies staring at me saying, please put paint on me. And I'm <laughs> like, yes, I know, I'll get to you. <laughs> <laughs> All righty. All right, we are here for our main topic, and this is the third and final segment in our series on the mental game, and we are going to talk about the aftermath. And remember, we're talking about games that were lost here, because honestly, Mm -hmm. you can learn more about your losses than you can with your wins. And just off the top, I'll throw out a, a little recommendation here. And I don't know if you do this, Drew, or not, but like before I can actually start taking a look at my my games, like the next day or whatever, or later that night, maybe, mm-hmm. like I I have to recall all that information. And the best way for me to do that is like I write it down during the game so I don't forget because like by the next day I'll forget like half of it. Mm-hmm. Um, so like I write down things like my opponent's name, army faction, mission, who won the game, VPs, and I'll generally write that stuff down on the back of my army list. So if I don't get, you know, if I don't have a chance to actually sit down and evaluate my my games like the next day, and it takes a couple days, like at least I'll see my notes and I'll immediately recall the game. Mm-hmm. Um, I find and, with myself. Um, I have a pretty good photographic memory, so I can sort of like replay games in my head, uh, even as much as uh, like I, I can still replay the games that I had back in March, um, seeing how the flow of each game went. Um, so I don't really have to write it down, but I agree if you if you struggle with remembering these fine details, absolutely write them down. Hey man, uh, I'm 58 years old. There's a whole lot of clutter in there. I gotta go looking for this information. You've accumulated a lot more knowledge. You, your cup is a lot more full than mine. <laughs> I, I All right, was, so so let, let me let me break this down a little bit into some some categories so we can talk about it. And this won't be super long, but. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I would break this down into three different things that you can look at in in analyzing your game. And that is the first one is your composure during the game. Mm-hmm. And we're talking about like your mental composure mostly here. Um, and something that you wrote up called the blame game. Oh, yes. And, and lastly, <laughs> lastly is the deep dive, like actually looking into the game, what happened, what caused you to, to take the loss. So let's let's first look at your uh, evaluating your, your composure during the game. And like we've got a whole pile of notes here and most of this is, is yours, Drew, but let me like let me just start off with this. And, and what this is, is were you able to main your, maintain your composure during the game despite losing the game or during the game you're, you feel you're going to lose? So mm-hmm. Or, and we've talked about this before, did the dreaded boo-boo stink face come out? And the boo-boo stink face for us is what we jokingly call mm-hmm. uh, when, when you kind of lose it, right? And, and you're oh, all yeah. miserable and you're a bad sport and it's like, oh, this sucks and uh, my dice are bad and, you know, mm-hmm. like, you know all, all of that kind of stuff. The boo-boo stink face is a very real thing. It's something we've coined because uh, Don, Garrett, and I, uh, we are not immune to the boo-boo stink face. <laughs> no. And I think we've, we've gotten to the point where we've done it enough times where we sort of recognize it when it comes out. And it's it's a very real thing. Your body language changes very noticeably. You become stiff, surly. You're non-responsive, one-word answers. You're very disagreeable with your opponent. You're quick to like jump down their throat. And in general, you're very an unenjoyable person to play against. Yeah, so if you're sporting like the boo-boo stink face, during a game against a competitive player, you know, they're laughing at that point because they know that they've got you completely rattled and the game is is pretty well already won. You know, at that point for them, you know, you're very prone to making mistakes and it's no longer really a matter of whether they're going to win the game or not. It's whether or not they're going to get a 12-0 win out of you. Pretty much, yeah. At that point... When, when I see the telltale signs that my opponents throw on the boo-boo stink face, I put pedal to the metal, and I just go. And I am incredibly aggressive at that point because I know that your mind isn't in the right spot, and you're not going to come up with the solutions or counter-strategies to my, uh, my ploys. Yeah, so you really got to try to, like, avoid, even if you're losing, you got to try to avoid the getting into that state, the boo-boo stink face. You okay. got to keep that under control. So I guess the big question I ask is, how do you beat it? You know, how do you break out of this funk, the boo-boo stink face zone? Well, there's really only one way, to be honest. And, and this is coming from someone who has <sighs> experienced the boo-boo stink face more <laughs> a fair amount of times in his uh, gaming career. <laughs> a fair amount. You really have to walk away from the table. Like... Any thought of you looking at the table will drive you bonkers. Uh, in extreme cases, it might be going to the bathroom, splashing some cold water on your face, walk outside, get some fresh air, um, or just you know just walking away from the table, turning your back to it for like you know a good minute. And the, really, the goal is here today is to get some perspective. A couple of things here that you have to understand: you're playing a game that you love and you enjoy. Um, like it's a privilege to be able to play this type of game, right? Now, not, not a lot of people in the world have this privilege, so you should enjoy it, you know, love it. Make the best of it. Exactly. You're surrounded by friends that you admire and like to hang out with. It's a beautiful day to be alive. 
your life is pretty darn good if this situation is causing you so much discomfort. You know, and then take two quick breaths and one long exhale. Smile, and go back to the table. And I think you'll find at that point whether, whether you think that this approach is very silly or not, the, the, the goal here is to sort of break your mental train of thought. It's, it's, it's spiraling into oblivion. If you break it with some silliness, your brain has time to, to reset and reevaluate where you are. You know? So it's all about it's all about kind of snapping yourself out of that out of that funk. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, and the reason I say this is that if you continue to go in the same situation, you continue to rock that boo boo stink face, it'll push you so deep, um, and and so far down the, the the pool of despair that you're gonna be looking at immediately conceding the game, and that's really the worst thing you could do in this situation, because let's be honest. There's so many more things that could happen here. Like this, stepping into the boo-boo stink face does not mean you've lost the game. There's still a chance you could pull it back. There's still a chance you could bring a tie out of this like we talked about in the previous uh, segment. So don't give up. Just find a way to break this, this train of thought and reset yourself. Yeah, and remember, like we're looking back on a game that's already happened, and we're we're taking a look at what your what, what happened to your composure during the game, mm -hmm. and, and the boo boo stink face is is what we call it. It's what normally happens to us, and it's basically just generally frustration, right? And mm -hmm. uh, you know, there could there could be another state of mind that that overcame you during the game that we're not mm -hmm. touching on here but just basically looking at looking at your state of mind during that loss mm -hmm. and did it contribute to the loss L let's right. move on to the blame game though because i like this this part that you came up with um <laughs> do you want to go into you, it or do you want me to go let, let me read let me read part of your intro here and i'll, okay. I'll let you jump into this because this is all your stuff here and but it's basically during the game did you stop thinking and start blaming and like because once you start doing that it's it's pretty well you're on the road to admitting defeat and just accepting that you're going to lose yeah that's literally the blame game and i've seen so many people do it um you know when either quicksand starts to set in during a game or after a game is finished and you've lost it's very easy to play the blame game and everything else was the problem except me. Now I'm talking about it from both a during game and post game perspective. You're looking at, you know, during the game, um, you're blaming everything. So the blame game is different from quicksand. Quicksand is indecisiveness and freezing when you're making decisions because you don't want to sink further and further into the quicksand. Yeah, it's being like you're unsure of what to do. Exactly. Whereas the blame game is not even recognizing your decisions were poor in the first place. And this is blaming any other external factors for your defeat, either pending or real. And, you know, and, and continually blaming everything else, like which generally means the dice, unfortunately, because uh, we do play a probability-based game, and whenever someone sees those dice go a certain wonky way, or their perception of it is the dice are going a wonky way, they'll start playing the blame game. And that's the most common one. And that really clouds your judgment and makes you more prone to make mistakes. 
and you aren't thinking correctly, you're making sloppy mistakes, and you're always blaming something else. You're saying, you know, the dice are at fault. Let's just use the example of the dice. You're saying the dice are at fault. Um, and I'll continue using these terrible tactics that I think are going to work. And I keep going back to this this example of my orcish line charging Urukai, and the dice aren't going my way. And I'm like, what is going on? Well, if you think about it from a straight tactics perspective, orcs charging Urukai never works. So come on, <laughs> stop playing the blame game and yeah, be smart about your it's decision. It's a bad idea to begin with. It's got nothing to do with the dice. What did you expect to happen? Exactly, right? Um, and then, you know, well, that's sort of during the game. Now, when you're after the game, you're, you really have a hard time sort of reviewing what happened post-game because all you think of is you sort of zoom in on these specific things like the dice or like your opponent's attitude or like if this one thing happened, oh, I would have won. And it's like by focusing your blame game on external factors, you really stop yourself from learning post-game and potentially winning mid-game and it's really important that you know like again i sort of flop back and forth between mid-game post-game but the blame game really is both areas you know when we we talk about um you know pushing the thoughts of ridiculous dice rolls out of your head i know we've touched on this last uh, last uh, segment uh, about the the mid-game but it really does happen and I cannot tell you how many times I've spoken to players, both really competitive players and non-competitive players, and they all share the exact same story. My dice sucked. I lost the game because of my dice. If my dice hadn't rolled poorly at this point, I would have lost the game. And this is them reflecting back on their games, because I'm talking to them after the game. And I can tell you from experience that dice going against you is very uncommon it's like it's like one in a hundred games you know yeah and i i think like you often hear and i do it too like it's everybody does it i think it's like how'd your game go oh, i lost oh what happened is like oh my dice just went into the crapper and i think part of that too is this it's an easy way to explain away your loss without taking any blame for it yourself mm-hmm Exactly. So you're looking for something other than yourself to blame, and you say, yep, it was definitely the dice, um, and that's the only reason why I lost, and yeah, it sucks, and that's it. And I'm like, you're not even looking at the reasons for why you lost this game. So let's move on to the last the last Ooh. item which is the deep dive because the deep dive that that's what it that's what that's all about and it's you actually looking you know once you've sort of come to grips with your state of mind and you know whether or not you were playing the blame game during during that loss it's it's what actually caused that loss mm-hmm. and like trying to identify if it was like a single thing a single moment or were there like multiple issues going on um and you got to try to avoid blaming the dice for your loss, like like Drew was just talking about there, because it probably goes much deeper than that. Oh yeah, and like like if you're looking at when you start doing the deep dive, uh, a couple of things. One, from a, a, either a competitive player or an aspiring competitive player, or someone who just sort of is curious about performance analysis, um, losing, as we mentioned at the very beginning. Uh, of this segment is a great teacher, 
right? It's probably one of the best teachers when it comes to this game because you it's hard for you to come across situations or unique scenarios as you play because the scenarios that you play against are so different. And so when you lose, you're able to see a, a game play out and you're able to say to yourself, what can I learn from this game? What can I take away from this game? And that's why if you really are dead set on being a strong player or a stronger player, analyzing that deep, analyzing that game, analyzing that loss uh, is critical to your success. And I will say this, you make a great point about blaming the dice and not trying to, trying to get out of that mindset when you do the deep dive. Because if you want to take the journey of the deep dive and you really want to make this exercise effective, you need to do it with an impartial uh, or a, a clinical kind of mindset. Meaning, if you're emotional, then you're going to quickly sort of overlook the reasons for your failure and then zero in on that one thing that bothered you the most. Because ultimately, frustration and failure in the game are not always cause and effect, right? Okay, so how can you like zero in on what were the causes of your loss and and i find you know if you're able to take sort of an unbiased perspective um you can ask yourself a series of questions that will will help you sort of identify some of the main causes uh for losing the game mm -hmm. and, and and we'll start out by just saying is like are you blaming a lot of external factors for why you lost that game like stuff not stuff that you did but like other things happened around you or to you that caused you to lose the game well that's probably not the case mm -hmm. i mean um that's a huge thing i mean the, the, the most common factor people blame is dice or they'll blame um the, their opponent's moves or maneuvers and they'll say well th that's the reason why i lost you know yeah and, or someone else was distracting me or whatever or there's not enough time in the game and it was unfair and blah 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 the second question that you'd ask yourself is were your opponent's decisions superior to your own and this really involves kind of doing that play-by-play -play in your head and when i'm talking about were your opponent's decisions superior to your own? I mean, like, did your opponent do something that caused you to immediately go on the back foot? And the most obvious example I can give is I was playing against Steve Stokes in the March tournament, and there was a moment where I wrapped his, um, his, his, um, his wall of fountain court guard with my Minas Tirith Warriors, and I thought, oh, I'm doing great. And I was able to sling here in the tall through heroic combat into one of his Avenger bolt throwers. And I thought to myself, awesome. Of course, in the process of wrapping my army around his wall, I put some of my models too close. And that in turn allowed him to countercharge his here, his here in the tall into my line. And then he was able to create a heroic combat that threw his here in the tall into my here in the tall. And it really put me on my back foot. And if I had played that better and had that wherewithal, that wouldn't have happened. And so that was definitely a situation where my opponent's decision was superior to my own. And that really cost me in the game. Right on. Uh, it, one thing I mentioned before, too, and it's like a very basic part of the game. And it's the very starting of the game. And you can, you can start off on the back foot just by deploying incorrectly in the game. And 
just never recover from it during the game. So was that a factor to the loss? Yeah. Um, and then, you know, counter, uh, sorry, I didn't say counter, but I said um, to complement the idea of deployment, majority of the missions in uh, the, the General's Handbook are objective-based. And did you lose focus on mission objectives? And that isn't just about, you know, um, I'm standing on two objectives and I'm just going to play my whole game on two objectives. That might be, I've sent too large a force to secure an objective and my opponent was able to sort of bog them down long enough that I wasn't able to push enough models to secure the remaining objectives. And it's about having that understanding of, did I lose focus on the mission objectives? Did I dedicate too, many, too much of my resources to capturing a specific objective? Did they stay there too long? Like all these sorts of questions sort of spiral out of yeah. that main question. And I find like that one kind of leads into the next question too. And it's because like quite often you can sort of play off of your opponent in regards to mission objectives and try to distract them. And a lot of the time, especially I forget the name of the mission, but it's the one called run to the middle, whatever that one (laughs) is. And, And like that one, when you lose that mission and you look at it, almost always the reason is because you let yourself be drawn into an unfavorable combat or mm-hmm. a combat that didn't mean anything in the game or like it didn't it meant nothing towards the mission objective so so that's a question you got to ask yourself too is like were you letting yourself be drawn into like unfavorable or unimportant combats just in an effort to try to destroy your opponent's models i mean to the back that question up is another question I would ask, and this is a critical question. Were you fighting on objectives? Because if you're not fighting on objectives, every other fight is a waste. You know, oh, I was fighting 12 inches away from an objective to get to that objective. Well, no, you got bogged down far too early and you let yourself get pulled into an unfavorable situation because from an opponent's perspective, I want to fight, I want you to fight my guys off of objectives and in some cases I want you to kill them all off of objectives so I break so the end game condition starts and I'm still standing on the objectives and you're not. Yeah, and like sometimes when you find yourself like starting to be drawn into an unfavorable combat and you recognize it and you never want to sacrifice your models, but sometimes you just have to make the decision. You know what? Everybody that's not actually fighting right now, I'm just going to run them away from that combat and those guys there will probably die, but it's not important. Exactly. And that's why you have shields, right? You've got models of shields. You charge one of your guys into two and you tie up as many as you possibly can in those one to two fights. You shield and everyone else runs towards the objective. Now, this is the important part about this strategy is that um, you want to run your guys. um, You want to disperse them as they run up because you want your opponent to freak out and say, which which model should I go for? And then that really causes them to make some really aggressive plays to sort of catch themselves back up. And again, for them, it's all about pinning you away from the objective. So again, the idea of are you getting drawn into unfavorable combats? Are you not um, fighting on objectives? These are critical questions to ask yourself. And you really, um, and while we're talking about this deep dive, um, you know, post game, these are also questions you have to ask yourself mid game as well. Uh, Am I doing this? Am I making these mistakes? Um, But yeah, and so we'll jump on to the next question, which is, did you use your shooting effectively? And 
this is a really important question to ask because, well, a 12-point or 24-point investment into 12 bows will almost always give you a great return on investment. If you're shooting too much or you're shooting too little, you actually are hurting yourself because you're either too stationary or you're not stationary enough. And you're either not getting that return on investment you want or you're getting the return on investment and then some, but you're sacrificing board control to do it. Right. Right. I would say the like the last question I would ask, and it's it's a pretty broad question, but it's a big one. And that is, did your heroes perform up to expectations? And in your army, you're going to have a ton of points wrapped up in your heroes. And those heroes need to earn their keep. And you know, you're either going to be doing that by killing enemy warrior models, killing enemy heroes, or claiming objectives. And you have to have those heroes uh, earning their keep. And I'm sure you can add to that, Drew. So there's two ways you want to look at this. One, real quick analysis, did my heroes kill enough points to make back their own points? Okay. Or two, did my heroes do something which allowed the rest of my army to maximize or to play on that that, that uh, opportunity and really maximize it. And there's two examples I'll give, which is why I think Faramir is an undercosted or, or underrepresented model, which he's amazing. Faramir is a model that if he just charges into infantry, he's going to make back his points with the lance and the charge and the whole shebang and the fight five. More often than not, he's going to kill enough models to make back his points. Right, yeah, he's pretty good on the offense against troops. Right, but if Faramir comes up against an Aragorn, King Elisar, he comes up against a Ball, he comes up against a Sauron, well, guess what? Aragorn just calls for orc defense three times. Yeah. You locking that hero down for three turns allows the rest of your army, who numerically or quality of heroes will out... Will, will be more superior to your opponent's force because remember that cheap Faramir was 100 points give or take going up against like a 240 350 400 point model you immediately have a points advantage so you being able to capitalize on that for three turns will mean that your opponent um, who plays the Aragorn King Alisar or whatever um, is not able to catch up because if by the time they've killed your Faramir, but you've broken their army, it doesn't matter. You've already won the game. It's, it's, yeah, and we've in the in the current like MESVG edition, we've really seen um, this concept sort of turned on its head almost because the way this game has been playing for the last few years is heroes just like smashing the daylights out of everything. Well, in recently we've seen like heroic defense suddenly becoming such a huge thing in the game and that's because before people were getting their heroes to perform by how killing other heroes mm -hmm. the easiest way for a hero to make back his points is to kill another hero like i remember playing you in a game once when you had to ring wraith on fell beast the game started boom compel alerts charge dead i right off the bat i lost a big hero right and and your hero like suddenly has earned back a huge amount of his points well now we're seeing like things like heroic defense in the game and it's designed to kind of stymie that mm -hmm. so 
Like, and, and you know, we've talked about it before, Gorolf Ironhide. That guy, I would say, uh, I would be very tempted to say he is on, he is too cheap because your opponent needs to be really well aware of his special rule or they're going to be walking through mud the whole game with that guy in their face. And for his 60 or 70 points, whatever he's worth, he'll, he'll shut down like a 200-point hero for the entire game. Yep. And I think that, like when you look at Gorov Ironhide and you combine him with Frida, is it Frida Tallspear, I think it is? Yeah. Um, that one-two combo of her being able to rob you of the cav charge and Gorov being able to say, perk defense, he, having those two heroes sort of hover near like a Lurtz or a Maher... Yeah, they're great. You, you you have that confidence of being able to say, I'm going to just charge Lurtz into, into like troops galore and just have him massacre away. Oh, what's that? Your big hero's coming towards me? That's perfect, because Gorov is standing here wanting to say hello. Yeah, you almost want them to do that, because then you you just you just move in Frida and say, okay, you no longer count as, as mounted, basically. Exactly. So you're not killing my hero now just with like a regular charge. Anyway, that, I think that's enough for, uh, for this. Why don't you like wrap this up there, Drew? So I think you know to wrap it up. We, we've we've talked about your composure. We've talked about um, we've talked about the blame game. We've talked about the deep dive, and you know you want to say to yourself, where do we go from here? And I think the important thing is to say to yourself this: when it comes to composure, when it comes to um, the blame game when it comes to your, 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 your analysis you're really looking at commonalities in your mistakes you're looking at moments where you made mistakes and you're looking at sort of compiling this information and saying to yourself how do I improve Well, the next steps are play test play against friends get these games in or you know if you if you're really struggling with the mental side of things in terms of like the, the blame game in terms of um, the uh, the boo boo stink face. Talk to your friends who are going through it. Like, take for example for me. I'll, I'll be honest. I sucked at avoiding the boo boo stink face, and it took uh, Don and Garrett a long conversation with them. Uh, was a very constructive conversation for them to help me sort of get through it. And th- that's not a bad thing to sort of reach out to your friends to say, hey, I act this way, I recognize it, what tips can you give me, and can we play some games so that I can improve upon this so I don't have this happen um, in the tournament? Because I'll say this, what you do in practice is what you will do in the game, like in the tournaments. So you have to prepare and you have to practice and compose yourself and play test. And it's all about taking the lessons you've learned and putting them into practice so that you can reinforce them and make them unconscious. Yeah, and if you can if you can play your friends and lose and keep your composure, you're laughing. Right? Especially when your friends love to tease you when they see you start to lose your composure. Oh yeah. Oh yes. I know you know exactly who I'm referring to. It's all about sticking the knife in and giving <laughs> it a good twist when you got your buddy on the ropes. Exactly. So if you're able to to ease back on that and if you're able to sort of recognize that and get through it even if they're constantly jabbing you then you're ready for the tabletop because the people you play across from you aren't going to act the same way as your friends do in in practice games okay let's get into 
all that is gold does not glitter. And of course, we really screwed up last time because what happened? We forgot to ask a question. <laughs> so we got we have nothing to talk about this time other than we are going to ask a new question That's for right. people to uh, send their answers into. And Drew, you came up with a question, so we'll let you, you, you can ask the question. This is, a, this is a, it's a miracle, me coming up with one of these questions. So here we go. Who is your favorite member of the fellowship? And this could be for model reasons. It could be for aesthetics. It could be for rules. It could be for the books that you read. It could be for the movies. Any reason. Let's hear it. We want to know who your favorite member of the fellowship is. Awesome. And send your answers to our email address, which is North of the Shire Podcast One, the number one, at gmail.com. Alrighty. And we're on to our next segment, which is my favorite segment. What have I got in my pocket? The segment where I ask and Don asks each other random questions about Middle Earth and anything goes. And we have to answer it spontaneously on the spot. <laughs> and well, spontaneous and on the spot are the same thing. But anyways, here is my question. Okay, who's going first? I'm, I'm going to ask you the question first. You're asking me? Okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Now, this has been a common um, sort of criticism of uh, the Lord of the Rings and Tolkien's work. I would love to hear your feedback. Why did they spend their entire time walking to Mordor when they could have just asked the eagles to fly them there and just drop the old ring into Mount Doom? Oh, I, I don't think that was real a realistic option in any way. Like, the uh, the only times that, you know, Gwahir and the Eagles really helped out, um, well, I guess both times, like, it's Gandalf that's getting them to help. Like, he, he rescued Gandalf from the top of Orthanc, right? Mm -hmm. And... He rescued Thorin's company from the top of the trees that they were hiding in when trying to escape. Uh, well, in the movie, it was Azog. Mm -hmm. um, but it, it's not like they were, you know, in like daily conversations with, mm -hmm. with the eagles. And like, it's not like they were actually allies. Like th that's kind of more like a, like a, a joke talking about, Oh yeah. Like just get the eagles to, to fly them over or whatever, because they were, you know, they were, um, I, I can't remember the word, but it, it's like they keep to themselves. They're, uh, they're like a separate group. They're, you know, they stay away from, from humans and and whatnot so yeah like I, I don't buy that as as criticism that you know that's that's not that's not real you're shaking your head at a poo poo no no <laughs> i will i will say for someone who reads lord of the rings you made a mistake he saved gandalf off of the um the the the, the top the highest peaks of uh mordor or sorry moria 
uh, when uh, Gandalf came back to life after killing the Balrog. Oh, really? I didn't mm-hmm. know that. He did. He, I remember distinctly, uh, I was listening to the audio of the first book, and I remember distinctly, or second book, and I remember, distinctly remember Gandalf saying that uh, Gwahir picked him up from there, and um, when Gandalf started to become more um, with it, Gwahir said to him, if I, if I dropped you now, you'd probably just float to the ground like a feather, and Gandalf said, don't drop me, <laughs> I don't want to die. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not a feather. <laughs> I'm not a feather, there you go, see, yeah. So, yeah. All right, so now it's my turn to ask you a question. And my question is, mm-hmm. and this could be a long answer, but here's the question. What are your thoughts on the breaking of the Fellowship Legendary Legion? Mm. So this was just in the most recent book. Right, right. And I guess this one here is, it's the Fellowship, uh, but without Gandalf. Right. So it happens after... Uh, their visit to Lothlorien. So they've mm-hmm. all been given their gifts. So it's like a 600-point force. Right. See, this is a, this is a tough one. Um, it's a solid list. You know, when you start looking at, like, board, like, army-wide, fortify spirit, um, and you start looking at some of the benefits that everyone gets, you know, you're looking at Anduril, or sorry, um, Aragorn getting the Elven Blade with the Urukai Bane, you're looking at Gimli getting those three re-rolls. Um, Let, let's just quickly run through all of these gifts because it's probably a good idea. Yeah. And uh, to be fair, I have just sent you a list of all of this so that we can easily pull that up. Well, I was going through it. I mean, I've got, you've got Aragorn who's got, let me, let me see if I can do this from memory. Okay. <coughs> you've got you've got Aragorn who's got the uh, Elven Dagger with Urukai Bane. You've Correct. got uh, Gimli with his three locks of Galadriel, which essentially gives him re-roll all dice in a dual roll. Uh, you've got Legolas. Fail. Yes. So you can he can only do that three times per yes, game. Yes, three times per game. Hold on a second. Was that supposed to say three locks? <laughs> re-roll all this dice three times per game. Easy. You weren't specific enough Get for me. Get out of here. Uh, you have Legolas with his bow, which if he's within three inches of another, you know, member of the Fellowship, he can reroll his shooting hits. That is really good, actually. You, yeah, it's really nice. good. You have Boromir, who has the Golden Belt, which gives him the Woodland Creature Special Rule, who is also yeah. the only person who can take an upgrade for the shield. Uh, and then you've got Merry and Pippin, who have the Noldoran Daggers, which let them reroll to wound. You've got Sam, who's got his rope, which lets him get an automatic six on any jump and climb tests. And then you've got Frodo, who has the file of Galadriel, which allows him to burn a point of will and on a three plus cast the uh, blinding light special rule. Did I get any wrong? Um, nope actually surprisingly accurate the Frodo one you got the name wrong it's the light of Erendil if I pronounce that correct I was thinking about um, yeah okay we'll go with that to me that 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 one there is goes a long way in because basically that one there I think is kind of replacing Gandalf's blinding light right well I think that one replaces Gandalf's blinding light um 
the army, sorry, the army-wide uh, fortify spirit uh, kind of replaces the protection of Valar, special ability or, or spell that Gandalf has. Mm-hmm. Um, now, if you're going to look at this breaking of the fellowship and compare it to the normal fellowship, um, they get so a that, lot. So that 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 uh, fortify spirit. Sorry to interrupt mm-hmm. you. That that's another special rule they have. Because yep, yep. in addition to those equipment upgrades, they have introduced a couple of special rules as well. So the blessing of Galadriel is, uh, whilst they remain close to Lothlorien, the Fellowship remain under Galadriel's protection. Friendly models always count as having the fortified magical spirit cast upon them. This is always in effect, even if their world points have been reduced to zero. And I'll just finish off the other ones. The Bond of Fellowship. Uh, when forced to fight, the fellowship will give all their give their all to ensure the protection of their friends. Models from this legendary legion count as in range of a banner if there is another friendly model within three inches. Wow, that's really good. Mm-hmm. And lastly, you have my sword. The fellowship have pledged themselves to protect Frodo, no matter the cost, as long as Frodo is alive on the table or escapes aboard. In scenarios where this applies, all models from this legendary legion gain the fearless special rule additionally this force will never be considered broken whilst frodo is alive and on the table or escapes the board in scenarios where this applies so that's everything right so the last part the um the fearless and the broken is the fellowship's normal special rules right so if you take a fellowship army you get that um i think and you'll have to correct me if i'm wrong on this um, the banner special rule is new. I don't think it's actually a part of um, the regular fellowship army bonus. Yeah, I, I don't recall ever reading this before. So, I mean, if you're looking at the army from a 600 point level, putting Gandalf in there just in general is really hard just because he's like 180 points. Yeah. And you're really sacrificing a lot of hitting power. Like, that army needs Boromir, it needs Aragorn, it needs Legolas, and it needs Gimli. At a minimum, it needs the four of them. Yeah, and, like, I'm no expert at, like, playing with Gandalf, but I have played with him a few times. And I'm gun-shy to play with Gandalf uh, just because I find, you know, we talked before about heroes um, making back their point value or you know, uh, making their presence felt in the game. I find it really hard to do that with Gandalf. Yes, he has some really good abilities, um, but is it enough to, like, be worth, like, what is he, 170 points or something like that? That's a lot of points to make back. He, when Sorceress Blast wasn't nerfed and you could, like, bowling alley down three or four guys, um, that was a, it was... Steel. You just run him. He cast blinding light. He'd bomb sorceress blasts everywhere. And if you had a big hero, he would cast um, transfix. Right. Right. And it was very easy to, for him to sort of make back his points over the course of a game because outside of charging in and getting a cab bonus, you know, two attacks, four on the on the on the knockdown, he could sorceress blast and kill a fair amount of guys. Now. That's really been nerfed, pulled back in with the Sorcerer's Blast. So his offensive potential has been neutered quite substantially. So, you know, looking at Fortify Spirit replaces his ability to put Protection of Valar on stuff, right? And Fortify mm-hmm. Spirit is bar none way better than the Protection of Valar, just for consistency and ability to affect every model in the party. 
And then the other thing is you get the banner reroll. Well, if the banner reroll isn't included in the army bonus, that's a huge boon to the whole army that you're sacrificing Gandalf for, right? That yeah, at yeah. the 600 point level, you're probably gonna sacrifice Gandalf anyways. Yeah. So to me, it really comes down to this, and that's, are you okay with sacrificing mounted options for Legolas, Boromir, and Aragorn? And are you okay with sacrificing Anduril for the banner reroll and Fortify Spirit, right? Right. Because what you're doing by taking the Breaking of the Fellowship Yes, you have blinding light with um, with Frodo, but the army only moves four inches a turn. And yes, you can use Aragorn's ability to heroic march, and you can constantly be moving. Um, but you know, like if you want to lean into any of the shooting, well, one Legolas is the only person who has a bow. You can't buy a bow for Aragorn, um, and so you're really just kind of. Moving the army forward at what was it three and no sort of four and a half inches a turn, with the march, and moving half and letting a Legolas shoot, right, and that is a really slow army. That's dwarvish level slowness. Yeah, uh, and I, I like the, I think the whole reason for this legend to create a thematic option like another option for the fellowship uh, and it's like very specific in its time frame i.e. right after Lothlorien um, and it's it's a choice this legendary legion it's it's all about theme mm-hmm. and then what they've done is they've just like thrown a whole bunch of uh, small little rules and items at at the list to to help it but to me, this list it still really suffers from what all of this kind of list suffers from, and that's just there's not enough units. Yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong. Aragorn, Boromir, Legolas, and Gimli can wreck um, a large chunk of an army, like on their yep. own, especially with the banner reroll, especially with the um, the game, that uh, the challenge, the 42 versus 43. Mm-hmm. Um, that Legolas and Gimli have, that really puts those four models into wrecking crew range. They can they can really put a lot of damage into your con- your your conventional army, but like the majority of the missions nowadays are objective based, and you've got yeah, like, eight models. Yeah, it's rough. Yeah, like I was just flipping through the the match play guide. I finally went downstairs and and pulled this out of my uh, my tournament briefcase because it's like I haven't really looked at it much and we've talked about it recently so it's like I gotta start reading this stuff Mm -hmm. there's not a lot of missions where you can look at and say you know hey this is a mission where this army list will excel at it's just the army is so small but you know this army from a theme perspective um like I think their their cup runneth over with with theme this mm-hmm. this particular especially now mm-hmm. with all these rules and and that special rule you mentioned with uh, Gimli and Legolas competing with one another there's a lot of fun to be had with this list I think um, but like what's your thought on taking this list from a competitive point of view is there any hope for it it depends a couple of things it depends upon the meta. You're looking at 600 point level, right? Um, <clears throat> so the, you're looking at 600 point level. So there's there's some 
armies out there that this will excel against. But I think the other thing we have to fo focus on real quick is that you can't take any options with this list. So Aragorn doesn't have armor, Legolas doesn't have armor. It's your big, ar your big units. Oh, really? You know, they don't have options for armor. Uh, now, I could be wrong in saying this, and I mean, but it doesn't, I don't believe it says Legolas takes armor. I don't believe it says Aragorn, you know, takes armor as well. And do I think that this has legs? I don't. I mean, if you were to take a standard fellowship army, you could take Arwen in your fellowship army with a horse. You could take Build a Pony. You could take Barlam and Butterbur. You could take all these extra models that really sort of lend you um, way more advantage than the breaking of the fellowship. Now, of course, if you are in a magic heavy meta, this army, if you were to compare it against a standard fellowship army, this army is the army you go with. Because Fortify Spirit makes, you know, Ring Wraith heavy armies irrelevant. Well, we talked in uh, in a previous episode briefly about the new Black Riders list, I think, when we were just talking about kind of some of our favorite lists from, from that book. Mm -hmm. And we talked about the Black Riders list. And it's like, actually, that's one list that this might do fairly well against because that list is not going to have a, of a high model count either. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and these guys seem to be geared up fairly well to deal with them. I, I would say that this list is a hard counter to the Black Riders list. You have a combination of um, Fearless on the whole army, as long as Frodo's yeah. alive, which it makes the minus three courage irrelevant. You have Fortify Spirit, which really, really neuters the Black Riders' ability. You mm -hmm. have Legolas being able to re-roll hits. Those three shots hitting on threes with re-rolls can just start picking off um, horses like left and yeah. right. You've got um, Gimli with his ability to two-hand to get the plus one to wound to really sort of um, circumvent the, uh, the defense eight from the Black Riders. You've got Aragorn who's wielding the Elven Blade, so he's got that mm -hmm. ease of winning those fights. You've got fight six across the board. Like, like all your four main melee guys are fight six, which means you don't want to be charging Black Riders into that unless they've got the Screech, the, the Nazgul, whatever it's called. Um, yeah, and so, they have the banner reroll too. I'm not sure if you mentioned that. And they've not. got the banner reroll. And let's be honest, if Gimli's in a bind, he's going to blow one of his Gladriel locks. And all of a sudden, he's rerolling all his dice. And yeah, yeah like. And even Merry and Pippin get re-rolls to wound. You know what I mean? So if you trap a, 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 a you know, wraith, they're rolling yeah. two dice. <laughs> you know, they're effectively yeah. rolling two dice to get a wound. Uh, like, there's just so many benefits that this unit has, this army list has yeah, against yeah, yeah. the other legendary legion. They're just a hard counter. Yeah, that's that's true. So there's one there's one army that that they could potentially beat. Now, if this we're talking, if we're talking a theme tournament or we're talking an all-hero tournament, mm -hmm. this is a really strong list. Yeah, because in the past, we haven't seen one for a while, I don't think, but in the past, uh, in our league here in Ontario, we have run all-hero tournaments, kind of like one per year. Mm -hmm. um, I think maybe last year was the exception. I don't remember having one last year. Yes. Um, but yeah, this list at 600 points, yeah. It, it's yeah, it's going to be a little silly. I mean, it doesn't have any cavalry, so that's a that's a downside. But I mean, it's got enough other special rules to sort of uh -huh. help bolster the lack of any cavalry. Yeah, um, I mean, the Canadian Shire is what seven hundred points. 
Or is it 600 points? Uh, I can't even remember now, honestly. It's one of those. Because if it's 600 points, I expect to see this army a lot next year. (laughs) (laughs) I expect to see this army a lot next year. Oh, it's theme. I'm like, well, I'm sure it is. Uh, I know exactly what this army does. And this isn't theme, but okay, knock your socks off. But yeah, no, I I think this is... Because remember, you have to look at this from a 600-point level. You can't... Like a a standard fellowship army, you can really beef that up to like eight, nine, a 1,000 points. Um, maybe not a thousand points, but at least into the eight, nine hundred point range quite easily with all the extra characters you can take. Uh, this army can't get there. It can only go to 600. So any sort of comparison you do has to be at the 600 point level. All right. So I actually dug up our Canadian Shire tournament pack and indeed it is 600 points. So guess what we'll be seeing in the future? Yeah. A lot of these lists, Ronan. I totally expect you to bring this list. I, if I, if you don't, I'd be very surprised because you did bring the fellowship last time. I think he also brought. Uh, I've seen him play with the nine before at another tournament that's as well. That's true. So that's true. I, I don't know if he ever brought that to our. He brought. Anyway. I remember he brought the fellowship to our event, and he said, "Oh, none of them are mounted." I said, "Well, if none of them are mounted, you're definitely going to take breaking of the fellowship." <laughs> So, so are you done talking about uh, this army list? Yeah. Breaking uh, of the Fellowship? So and the break- what's, at, what's the bottom line? The bottom line is at 600 points, it's a... Depending upon the meta and depending upon, you know, the missions that are chosen for the event, this is a strong list when you're able to sort of, like, stay together, you know? Uh, because the four main combat heroes are extremely good. Uh, at doing what they do and these special rules just make them better at it Um, but the problem is that with the majority of objectives out there in the game coupled with the fact that none of these models are mounted um, really hurts their ability to play the objective game and if you're going to rely upon Frodo for the blinding light to keep you alive from shooting, uh, one, there's a time limit on it, and two, you have to slow your movement speed considerably. Um, so I don't think it's going to, I don't think it's going to be as big as say the nine in a competitive environment. Um, but if you're looking at a theme event or say. Uh, an all-hero event, this would be one of the top lists at 600 points. But very thematic. But very thematic, that's right. Right on. Okay, so good answer. I like that. Just like a little mini uh, army review almost. Almost, yeah. So is that it for for this episode number seven? Should we so. uh, Should we wrap it up? I think we should wrap it up. What's uh, what's coming up around the corner now that we've finished off your three-part series on the mental side of the game? Mm, well, to give a little tidbit, we're doing another. Th- we're gonna do another three-part series, and it's gonna be on armies. It's gonna and be on armies. We're gonna keep it at that. It's gonna be a bit of a secret. Okay. <laughs> but we a three-part series that's gonna be on armies. It's just you're just giving us a little teaser. I'm gonna right? give you a little okay. teaser. That's right. We're gonna we're gonna you know we, we started with the higher level concepts and we're slowly I wouldn't say slowly but we're working our way down into more granular topics, uh, and we're okay. gonna go from there. All right, sounds good. Look forward to uh, reading your initial thoughts on that and possibly helping to develop those 
concepts. Well, you've already bashed a lot of the concepts I had already. You're like, this name is stupid. This name is stupid. I'm like, ah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's what I'm here for. That's exactly it. It's like you do Just really? tell you what you've done wrong. That's okay. <laughs> do you have uh, any parting words for us? I do. I actually have a passage to read. Okay. And it's kind of uh, suitable considering the series that we just finished reading. Mm-hmm. Um, also, I got to mention too, like we've been ever since we had that episode with um, where I talked about playing chess. Yes. It's like chess is all around me now. Like <laughs> I, I've been playing chess at work oh. uh, on on my breaks and lunches with uh, with a guy there, and uh, all of a sudden there's this show on TV which is really popular. I don't know if you've heard of it. I've just started watching it. It's called The Queen's Gambit. I saw that on Netflix. Yeah, and so I've I'm partway through that series, and it's all about a young woman who's uh, playing chess. So, anyways, this is kind of related to that. But um, I will just say before I read this, just uh, wish everybody uh, a happy holidays, I guess, because I think our next episode will be out just after uh, Christmas. But um, just wishing everybody a safe and happy holiday season mm-hmm. happy holiday season to everybody and to those not uh, celebrating christmas a happy winter celebration winter celebration that's right okay so this passage is from the return of the king and mm-hmm. it's from minas tirith and it is gandalf and here we go well no need to brood on what tomorrow may bring for one thing tomorrow will be certain to bring worse than today for many days to come, and there is nothing more that I can do to help it. The board is set, and the pieces are moving. One piece that I greatly desire to find is Faramir, now the heir of Denethor. I do not think that he is in the city, but I have had no time to gather news. I must go, Pippin. I must go to the Lord's Council and learn what I can. But the enemy has the move and he is about to open his full game and pawns are likely to see as much of it as any peregrine son of paladin soldier of gondor sharpen your blade See, if you're impartial, if you, if you just hurt, <laughs> so bad, like, I am right now broken. I've lost my mindset. <laughs> oh, because this dog wants to shut the f*** and sit down. Oh, man. <laughs> okay, let's try this again. <laughs> All right, here.